This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Ulster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today, we are not doing the news because it's Thanksgiving. It's actually Thanksgiving. Today, happy Thanksgiving, everyone in America, and happy Thanksgiving weekend, Friday weekend to everybody else. <laughs> so we are just doing a review of Star Trek Prodigy, episode 15, Masquerade. And next week, we'll be back with all the trimmings <laughs> um, that you've missed this week. And the leftover news. Yes, and the leftover news. So, Tony, what is your big picture view of this episode of Star Trek Prodigy? There's so much going on. It's it's almost too much. Like it's like I can't believe they fit everything that happened in this episode into this episode. And yet, things still had enough time to land, open up new things. It was exciting, a lot of action, ton of character stuff, especially for Dal. So, you know, I like I liked it very much. This season 1B, 1.5, whatever you're calling it, it's just Two. Great. <laughs> so that's my short version. So I would mostly agree with you, except I did feel because so much happened and they packed in so much, which that part I admire. I did feel like we lost some of the character moments that I love. And it was more like they were planting the seeds and I feel like we're going to get those moments later. But I missed having them in the actual episode, especially Dow. Like, I wanted to dig in a little bit more there. I know that story is far from over, but I felt like we didn't have the quieter moments because there was so much to get through and so much action. And I, I'm not sure that's a criticism. as just more about my personal taste. I could see that. There were some more quiet moments in the lab with the doctor. And then at the end, you know, I really liked when... You know, we're just jumping into it. So when, you know, when Dahl learns his true self and it was devastating, his friends were there for him to reassure him that, you know, he's a unique individual. And just because he doesn't have parents in a technical sense, it isn't a bad thing, you know, and I thought that was really sweet. And then it kind of came back again at the end when they, you know, let him know that he's better than any captain who abandons them. So I, I felt that they gave that story a moment and, and there's certainly more to come with that storyline. Yeah, to me, it just I felt like they gave it quick little skip, like skipping on the surface moments. And they usually find time to really dig in to the emotion of it. And I felt like this was more of a setup. OK, but the plot stuff was great. Like there's so much going on. It moved things so quickly and added in so much like Murph and Dal, all this stuff going on. I mean, again, I Zero was the one who got, I think, shortchanged in the last couple of episodes that I missed. And, and Jankum, really. Yeah, Jankum got some good stuff in the in the previous. He's had stuff recently. So it's been a couple in a row for Zero. But again, you can't do everybody all the time. And there was a lot of there was a lot to get through and they did it. And it's amazing how efficient they are in terms of moving the story forward in such a short time and in such a, an effective way. You know, and on both ships. Yes, and big reveals. You know, and we have multiple guest stars. I really liked the Dr. Ja Jago. Jago? Jago. Dr. Jago character. She reminded me a lot of uh, Maz Kanata, but uh, the evil right. scientist version of Maz Kanata. <laughs> <laughs> But good acting and 
you know, no sense of what she's doing. You know, there's no question of morals or ethics. It's all good, you know, from her perspective. Right. As a good mad scientist should be, right? Yeah, well, hence the adjective mad. (laughs) (laughs) And we also had Jellicoe. So was it big? There was a lot going on. Yeah, and immediately we got into how they do not see eye to eye, for sure. Right. Did he seem oddly off sync to you? You mean the the his I don't what do you mean? <laughs> I mean his his mouth movements didn't seem to match the dialogue as well as it should have. There was something um, off about him. I didn't notice that. I'll have hmm. to watch I've watched it three times, I think, at this point, and I that really didn't Anyway, minor point. I mean, I thought he was fine. He's good as he's not a bad guy. He's just kind of you know, the tough boss. He is, but I I did think, like, this is the second time now someone's brought up Admiral Janeway, or as he says very distinctively, Vice Admiral Janeway. Um, yes. <laughs> um, letting her personal feelings get in the way, and I want to say that's not really what she was doing in this case. She was doing what any captain would do who found out that they were a bunch of teenagers on a starship. Well... She didn't say it, but he's assuming it that she she wants to go into the neutral zone to get to this ship. And he sees that as a risk not worth taking. Yes, but he specifically said it's your personal feelings. They're clouding your professional obligations. And I felt like any of our captains would have wanted to do the same thing that she wanted to do. Yeah, because she doesn't know if Chakotay is on the ship. From her perspective, he may be in the brig of that ship. She has no idea what's going on on that ship. But I think it's more than that. I think it's more than Chicote. I, I think it's a combination of things. But yes, I guess people know the connection. But she, you know, followed orders. Yes, exactly. That's exactly my point. So she did follow orders. I find Jellico, you know, you and I could probably do a whole episode about Jellico. Because you're very pro Jellico, and I'm talking yeah. like TNG Jellico. Yes, exactly. So, and I think he was bad, a bad captain, and you think he was the right captain for that event, Job. Yes. right? So we could do a whole thing separately on that. But I felt like this was exactly what he was doing wrong the last time, which is making assumptions about people and trying to apply a uniform set of rules to a situation that needed nuance. It does bring up that there's kind of a bigger story here of what's going on with the Romulans, which was nicely sort of confirmed with this week's log entry, Admiral Log on Instagram, which is that this is all tied into Star Trek Picard, actually. Yes. So we're now in the Romulan refugee crisis is happening. You know, the flashback scene like of Picard with the white hat, (laughs) that's only a few months from this moment, you know, so we're all coming together. I like this. Of course, I'm still not going to give up on how weird the neutral zone is. Like the Romulan ships are still like there, so they're on the other the wrong side. Janeway fired torpedoes into the neutral zone and the Romulans didn't do anything? Really? And then where was this planet? Cuz the neutral zone is huge, right? So was the planet like right on the edge? Cuz space is really big, you know, like <laughs> did those torpedoes go to warp? Or, you know, other, or they must have been very close. 
I had a lot of similar questions about where things were and if the Romulans, I mean, I know it's the Tal Shiar, but if the Romulans are there, then aren't they violating rules even more so than before? Like it's all, I suddenly was right there with you on the logistics of the whole Romulan problem. I mean, I know like last week when we brought this up, Aaron Watke jumped on Twitter and he had all sorts of logic for it and you know it made sense and that the Hageman brothers jumped in and david mack jumped in turned into a whole thing well some of that was about the scanning of the time traveling oh that's true which now has two meanings because they haven't noticed that essencia is a time traveler and not even a trill so whatever she's been doing has fooled them as well right i mean we're just gonna have to say she has cool future tech because if she's ever gone through a transporter didn't you know didn't someone notice oh look she's not actually a trill that's interesting right but i'm assuming whatever fancy thing is on the back of her neck somehow you know fooled everyone does the trick remember early on in trill mythology when they couldn't transport oh yeah yeah (laughs) way back when on tng yeah they gave up on that you know that would not have worked for ds9 no anyway i i see what you mean but it's an interesting character to have because it creates Tension, you know, it allows for tension with Janeway herself. I, I still think the Jellico character is a good addition to the show. Oh, yeah. And we could now see why they brought in Akona. It's not just fun, which it was, but it's all part of this, you know, Dal imposter syndrome of him questioning whether he's a captain and he acted as a foil, essentially. Everyone was fawning over him, and it just fed into his jealousies. But then it turned out, of course, that he was the good captain, and Akona's a jerk. We did have that great moment when the Romulans get them, and they go, they say, we need the captain, and then they go after Okana. And Dal is like, ah, you think he's the captain? Then oops. But I thought that was a great sort of crystallizing moment of everything that had gone on between them. Did you think that Akona was going to come back at the end and help somehow? No. Like, nope. You thought he's out. Goodbye. We'll never see him again. Yep. <laughs> How about you? I thought that, like, you know, while they're in the elevator chase or something, that he was going to like maybe just fire off a phaser or something just to just to show that he's not a complete slime ball, you know. But he he is. He totally abandoned these kids to the Romulans. Yeah. And offered no help at all. I'd like to see him more in the gray area because that kind of turns him into pure jerk. Well, he's just who he always was. I mean, maybe he will pop back. I suppose it's possible that he'll pop back at a key moment if it suits him. But that's who he's always been. Yeah, he's a selfish guy. He did. Did you notice he did, you know, when he was bragging about his exploits, he did sort of explain the plot of the outrageous Um, Akona. (laughs) Which is, again, a terrible episode. (laughs) (laughs) i did think it was funny that he was recapping it (laughs) what i did like is that you know there was a nice theme through this whole episode which as i've always said listen to what hollow janeway says in the first act she's gonna tell you what the theme is which is the you know if something's too good to be true it it probably is and akona was too good to be true and the geneticist was too good to be true for sure yeah um you know, what did you think of that whole reveal? Both as, there's kind of two issues here. One is the character issue for Dal, and then how this ties into Star Trek history is kind of they're like two separate things. 
Right. So the history would be like, there's some Sung happening. Yeah, again. Um, which made me roll my eyes because I'm like, enough with the Sungs. I've had enough Sungs to last a Sung lifetime. Yeah. Many Sung lifetimes. So with Dal, it's interesting. So now we have, it's another piece of the puzzle of why Starfleet is very interested in him also. Do you think that it was just a generic, genetically modified alert? Or do you think they know who he is? I think they know who he is. Because that thing was just scanning, saying, you're a Bricar, you're a Medusin. Oh, this one's genetically modified. That would set off an alarm. But you're saying, no, we want this specific individual. Well, he's the only one, I assume. Well, there's lots of genetically modified people out there. No, I don't mean the only genetic. I mean the only specific what he is. That's true. Because he wasn't, he was created. He wasn't just modified. She was telling him, if if what she said is true, she's telling him he was created in a lab. That's true. So that would be, I think, of interest depending on who did it and why they did it. Right. Like he said, maybe I'm just an experiment, which could be true, but it could be more than that. Right. I'm sure that we'll, we'll find out. Right. Because he's been, you know, he had that dream about his parents. The thing that kind of really hit him for the loop is he literally has no parents. I know. I know. And he's someone who's been searching for that, for some connection and for a family. And he's going to find that Starfleet thing of this is your family. That he has his family. Right. And Janeway's his mom. Yeah. I, I think eventually Admiral Janeway, real Admiral Janeway, is going to be his mom, too. I think she's going to especially remember that conversation that they had. I think she's going to do some reflecting and go back to that moment where he said, have you ever wanted something so badly? But I can understand why he did what he did. Oh, yeah. Which is to use the cheat code, <laughs> the genetic cheat code. And I, and it, that was you know, the scene, his first scene coming back when he was acting all smart and balancing and stuff like that was great. Yeah. And why do you have pointy ears? Rock says. I think it was Rock. <laughs> right. The first thing was when he spoke like a Klingon. Yes, and he got the ridges. He got forehead ridges. Yeah. He had it all. He had, um, you know, if you look at the stuff that was on the wall behind him and the things that manifested, he had like all the main ones we know of. Vulcan and Dorian, Tellarite, you know, you name it. But there was some weird stuff on that wall behind him. The species... 8472 was up there. Oh, my. The Dominion was up there, which makes no sense because the Dominion is not a species. Yeah. So, but maybe it's Vorta. The Maquis were up there. And there was a really. They're not a species. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what was weird is when she said, You're an augmented human, the Maquis logo highlighted. But Maquis, that's a weird, it is a weird thing to have up there. Yeah, yeah, there was some definite weird stuff up there. Yeah, the Suliban, of course, they make sense. Um, I haven't done a full list yet. The Zindi uh, Rysian, so he's got a little Rysian, a little party animal. Good for him. (laughs) A little Cardassian. Listen, no wonder this poor kid has an identity crisis. (laughs) I'm wondering whether, um, because we saw that when they started manifesting, he started talking like a Vulcan and like a, um, you know, so... But I wonder, you know, they, they removed the implant, but so I guess these things are dormant again, but will he start getting abilities or, you know, as he grows older, will he somehow be able to tap into his Vulcan side or his Tellarite side? 
I would assume so because it's quite the seed to plant if you're just going to bury it again. So my feeling yeah. is that some of those qualities they won't it won't be crazy and it won't be a physical manifestation, but I suspect he will eventually learn how to tap in and maybe there will be an interesting journey for him of someone who helps him who teaches him how to do that. I mean, it could be zero. It could be anybody. The weirdest one they mentioned was proto-organian. Well, actually, what she said was proto-organian. And I was like, <laughs> why is she saying it like that? <laughs> now, I, I mean, I, I mean, which is like a big deal if he was, you know, because organians are super beings. Yeah. Now, what this implies that there was some race before them, but still, you know, I don't know if this was just the writer's you know, Aaron and the others who are nerds just throwing out names because it's fun or whether, you know, these are really clues to something big because that would be huge. You know, That was a big one to mention. And by the way, I'm going to assume she just has an accent and that's why she said it that way. But (laughs) well, she's from the uh, neutral, you know, she's way out of town, you know, she's. Yeah. Oh, no. And everybody can have an accent. So that's how I got past the Organians, Um, which doesn't explain, by the way, this is a pet peeve of mine since Next Generation. Okana is spelled O-K-O-N-A, and it's yeah. pronounced Okana. And I went back to TNG because I was like, has it always been this way? Yes, it's always been that way, and I don't understand it. Anyway. Magatu, Magatu, come on. Yeah. Come on. All, I mean, just, let's... Yeah, Gumatu. So, but anyway, back to the Organians. <laughs> that would be a really big deal if he's one of them, and I just... It begs a lot of questions about even what, how they could even do that and what the relationship was of the Organians to the Federation after Kirk met them. And how did they get proto-Organian DNA even? Right. It's, there's so many questions here. And that's, I, I'm wondering whether, hopefully we do. I mean, there's definitely going to be more to this story, but I definitely agree with you on the lore side. There's enough in Star Trek to just say, yeah. Genetic modification is illegal, and obviously what this doctor was doing is way off book. But we need it. We did not need another Soong to be mentioned, and it kind of doesn't make any sense anyway. Because <laughs> Arik Soong stopped being a geneticist and switched to robotics when we last saw him, and she said he defected from the Federation when yep. he was from... The Federation didn't exist at that point. I guess maybe later... He became a geneticist again and then defected. I just don't need any more songs. I'm done yeah. with songs. They overdid the songs. Unless Arik Soong, which I, God, I hope not, is going to be a character in this show. No. It was pointless. And it was the small world thing. I mean, what's, you know, I'm I'm a hypocrite because I'm like, I was, know. The board, <laughs> was the Borg cube also the artifact? And I thought that was cool, but... I don't know. I just, I, th- I think I've just hit my Sung limit. I don't need any more. I, don't <laughs> I know. Any... I, I think, you know, listeners, just let us know. Have you hit your Sung limit or do you have room for more? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's my question of the week for everybody. And it wasn't ne- certainly not necessary for this storyline because, you know, Julian Bashir was genetically modified. I, I think that uh, Brett Gray actually brought this up in my interview with him. Which now, when you look back, it was it's kind of obvious what he was talking about because he said that this exploration of his origins will reveal what he called the last remaining prejudice of the Federation. Right. And this is a prejudice. Well, it's a theme. Look, it just came up on Strange New Worlds as well. Yeah. So it's a big, 
a big theme that they're, I guess, wrestling with and trying to figure out. Right, because Julian Bashir wasn't evil or dangerous, didn't try to take over the universe. Right. Yeah, there's dangers to genetic, you know, modification. But maybe the Federation is just being a little bit too... It's kind of like what you were talking about with the Prime Directive. Like, it's worth exploring. Yes. These absolute laws. You know, does this mean he could never be a cadet at Starfleet Academy, for example? Right. Which is the thing he wants. Yeah. Yeah, it raises... I mean, I do like that they just... By answering one thing, they raised 500 new questions, which is well done. And I wanted him to have parents. I was sad for him that he didn't have parents. Definitely. But he's not the only one getting a big reveal. <laughs> no. <laughs> How about- I mean, we, we got the Murph reveal last week, but we didn't really get a sense of what was happening with Murph. And we still don't. Right. He's not done. There's no way he's done. No, There's a lot we- more evolving, I think, to go with Murph. And he can't live in a ball. You can't have a security officer in a ball. But the fact <laughs> that he has a job now. Yes. And he's really good at it. Well, I don't know. At the beginning of the episode, when he was running around the ship with two phasers, he's like, he's got two (laughs) hands, so he's using two phasers. Um, That's the first thing he goes for, which hints at his job. But, you know, (laughs) he almost sliced Rock Talk in half, you know, so. Yeah, that's why he's in the ball now. (laughs) (laughs) Do they only take him out of the ball when he's in front of an enemy? I was like, how can they have a security officer in a ball? <laughs> I thought that was very funny and strange. Did you like when they were trying to hide sort of it behind the wall? And you rock dog is like this gigantic thing with a huge ball with Murph in it. And they're trying to, to lean up against the wall like, oh, people will walk past us and won't <laughs> notice us. <laughs> that was good. There was a nice brief moment with the with the space ice cream and the space puppies, too. Oh, the space just- puppies. Reminding us that these are kids before they had to fight the Tal Shiar. Yep. No, and we finally got that line. That line was from the trailer, right? Who are these kids? That's right. And and now Janeway's starting to be impressed by them. Because they yes. outwitted the Tal Shiar. They got away from the Tal Shiar. It was amazing how well-informed Janeway was way out on the other side of the yes. neutral zone. Well, they were up to speed. They were um, monitoring all the Romulan communications. Yeah, yeah. There was a hand wave there, but... Uh, That's okay. We needed it for the story. Agreed. But it's it's kind of like she was both in the neutral zone and out of the neutral zone. They were like doing things that only made sense as if they were in orbit of that planet and doing things as if they were way out on the neutral zone. So. Yep. But, you know, I'll allow it. <laughs> It's official. Tony allows it. It worked for me. It's certain when that stuff takes me out of the story, that's when I don't like it. And this did not take me out of the story. What this does is it kind of when you work backwards, Rock is now officially the science officer. And so excited about it. Doing her first science log. Zero is now the medical officer. Log is now the engineering. Like, and once again, Dal has passed another captain test. Yep. Right. And Gwyn is firmly the first officer um, and communications officer whenever they need that. Um, so they're all now there in their roles, ready. I feel like this block of five is now setting us up for another block of five, the final block of five for season one, where this is all going to come to a head yep. now that the diviner 
we haven't talked about the biggest reveal yet, <laughs> or, or have we talked a little bit about it? But this was a twist. You know, we knew something was coming because Jamila Jamil said there was some kind of twist with her character, I think, when we interviewed her. I always thought it was related to her being a trill, but I guess it's to her not being a trill at all. No, she's not. I So I have so many. First of all, I, I hope there's another Essencia somewhere because I just don't want her to go away, which she will eventually have to do. So I love Jamila Jamil. So I'm wondering, is there a real Essencia? Is she kidnapped somewhere? Is she being held somewhere? What's happening? But that was... And then we got like more of Jamila's real voice, I thought, when she became, when she transformed herself into her true self. Right, who probably has a different name, which we don't yeah. know yet. But yeah, there was a different, like she, and I double checked just in case, it's her voice doing both the Essentia voice and the Valnicott yep. voice, whoever that is. The time traveler yep. voice. So here's a question. How did she get Dreadnought onto the ship? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Did, did she order him from um, Ikea? In different as parts. Came, and then as he came in as a table? Building him like an advent calendar. <laughs> um. <laughs> or did uh, did she build him with the replicator like they did once before? Who knows? Maybe yeah. we'll never find out. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like we might find out. But that was a great moment. I was like, oh, <laughs> there he is. Oh, yeah. no. And then is that going to, is he going to know how to bring back the Diviner's memory? Does it matter if they bring back the Diviner's memory? If if Dreadnought has her now, maybe he doesn't need to worry about the Diviner anymore. And maybe the Diviner's going to switch allegiances. Who? It's very interesting. Like either he's going to remember who he was and go back to being evil or maybe not. Yeah, I feel like they're probably going to switch him back. Certainly by the finale, I think. But it it it'd be it would be interesting if they can't. And yeah, uh, they've sort I've... of lost him to the, you know, light side of the force. And she ends up being the villain of the show now. Right. There are so many possibilities. I don't love the whole fooling Janeway part of that equation. You know how I feel about Janeway, so I don't like that she's being fooled. Right, and we'll continue to be because we could only assume she's going to continue to pretend to be Essentia, right? As we go, but I, I'm hoping that Janeway starts putting the pieces together soon because it's starting. You know, this it, it, how long they could drag out the these kids are responsible for Chicote, which they're not thing, because that's what's really driving Janeway. Well, it was, but she's already had a shift where she was worried about the kids. She already was like, let's not leave these kids on their own to deal with this. They don't know what they're doing. And then at the end was impressed by them. So she's already making that shift and she's going to put it together. That might be as soon as next episode. Yeah. Because, you know, they're, the show is moving fast. They're not wasting a moment. On no. Anything. And I guess you're saying they're kind of going too fast. Yeah, I mean, this was the first time I felt that way, but they did. I felt like to have as much action in this one did require the sacrifice of some of the slow down character moments that I'm used to, where things just breathe for a moment. And they did have character moments, but they were fast. They were snappy. Right. So it wasn't a, a full slowdown for it, which is so funny because I've criticized Discovery for doing the opposite, where I feel like they would slow everything down to have a great big character moment. And yes. so I, I guess I'm just a tough person. To 
Well, they, they have half, you know, it's not even half the time because a, a Discovery episode could run 60 minutes or more sometimes, you know. This is always 22 minutes, essentially, of show. Right. And so it always feels like it's short, you know, but it, that's because it has to fit into that half hour with commercials time slot on Nickelodeon, which is why how the show was built. And it does air on Nickelodeon, too. So Right. And I, I just think in order to get through all those steps of all those things, they had to rush through the moments that I that we usually stop for. Yeah. Which I get. I mean, they had that whole action scene with the space elevator, which we've just seen a space elevator. Space elevators are back. Yeah, They're in, yeah, in a big They're way. All the rage. So, because we've just seen it on lower decks. And, and then space the, jumping. And the anti grav suits and the jumping and all of that. Although I bet this episode was written before lower decks, just because it takes longer to make this show. Right. I, I think space elevator is a really cool idea. Yeah, it is a really cool idea. As are those anti-grav suits that they go flying around in. It's an actual genuine real possibility idea too. There's people on earth now trying to figure out a way to actually make a real space elevator. The technology's not there yet, but it's, you know, we could see that in our lifetimes maybe. I mean, this show uses a surprising amount of real science there was a lot of real science in this episode well they even have those videos with aaron mcdonald where she explains the science of stuff that went on every week like in addition to the janeway logs we have those so because it's a show for kids they want to make sure that they're using real science all the terms being thrown around sure creating a hybrid like dow's not possible but all the terminology they used and and it was cute how rock knew like all the names of (laughs) <laughs> the DNA bases, but things like hybrid speciation, uh, putrescine, yeah, epigenetics. Putrescine. Yeah, these are all real things. I looked them up. I was intrigued and I went and looked them up, which I'm sure they're hoping the kids do. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, that's why I always say that you kind of have to watch these episodes twice, especially as Star Trek fans, because there's all the lore. I mean, down to little things like the weapons that the Romulans were using were the same ones from Picard. It's amazing how finely crafted this all is and how well connected it is. And they also had a little throwback. This isn't about tech or science, but the eating of the apple in the captain's chair, the smug eating of an apple in the captain's chair. By you O'Connor. mean from Star Trek 2009? So, well, Star Trek 2009, and then it goes back to the eating of the apple, but not in the captain's chair from Wrath of Khan. So it yes. start, to me, it starts there with Kirk just eating the apple while everybody's freaking out. Then you have that scene in 2009, so which relates back, of course, because it's about the Kobayashi Maru. Yeah. And then, and now we have him sitting in it. The apple's purple, of course, because it's Prodigy. And he's all sprawled out in the captain's chair being all smug. I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, they did call it out that this episode was kind of structured like the Kobayashi Maru, which Janeway pointed out because you're on one side of the neutral zone, you have a ship yeah. inside the neutral zone, but you know if you go in, you're going to you know, get attacked, so they were in a no-win situation. Yep. So many layers. <laughs> I feel like we've said a lot about this episode. I didn't have any problems with it. I, I, I get your point about going too fast, but... Maybe that's because I'm I'm used to watching the episodes twice. I kind of don't mind that. But maybe if you just watch it one time, 
I could see how it feels that way. Well, I watch it, you know, two to three times before we talk about it. Yeah. So I watched it a lot. And look, I enjoyed it. It was great. And they needed some big action. So they threw in, you know, all the chase scenes with the Romulans. They wanted to do all that. So like I said, it's not as it's it's just my personal. You know how close I feel to each of these characters when we talked about it on the shuttle pod. I was saying that part of it is that I identify with the kids because I feel like a kid, but I also have this maternal thing Mm -hmm. with all of them. And so that's why I want those little moments because I maybe there's just a projection of me wanting to like comfort them or help them through it or something like that. It's very deep. It would have been nice to have a good bookend moment with Dal and Hollow Janeway at the end, which we didn't get. Right. And I do think they'll do it. They just couldn't squeeze it in to this one. Yeah. And it raised a lot of great questions about about who you are, because we have Dal, we have Murph, we have Asensia, and we have the Diviner. Like all of these people, like who are you and what makes you you? Those are all really good questions and that they're all going on at the same time is effectively packing in a lot. At any point during the previous four episodes or even during this episode, did you start to wonder what's up with Asensia? I started definitely when she yelled at Janeway about firing at the protostar. I started sensing, okay, something's weird is going on, you know, because you don't talk. An ensign doesn't talk to an admiral that way. Well, I thought it was weird that when she wanted to suggest that she go into the neutral zone, that Janeway came to her. Janeway said, yeah. you wanted to talk to me? And I'm like, wow, that's... Usually if you want to talk to your captain, you go to them. I think it was more come to the root because Jane was interested in the diviner. I thought it was more you mm. should come see. But I he didn't really have anything to say. Um, but yeah, that was it just, you know, her very if you look back to episode 11, she's always or maybe 12. It, she's always had a very keen interest for a navigator in this alien. Yes, right. she's been helping him from the get-go. And I think the idea was that you were supposed to think, oh, that's part of her nature and she cares about him and whatever. And it also, when you think of that moment of her grabbing Gwen by the arm, the yeah. way she grabbed her, there was, you know, and they, they made a moment out of it. We saw her hand grip her arm. So it does. I had no idea, though. None. Neither did I, but I started, I felt, I didn't know what was good. I mean, ever since I did the interview with her, I, I, it's been in the back of my mind of there's something going on with her. And during this episode, I had, I flagged how she was just acting overly aggressive for an ensign, but I was still surprised for sure. At, yeah. You know, I did I, clock her slipping out when she slipped out off the bridge. I was like, Oh, where's she going? Yeah. that They definitely made you notice that. And I still didn't know what it meant. I thought at that time she was going to sneak into the neutral zone because that was her plan at the beginning. I mean, it's interesting. Now I'm going back to the previous episode and I'm thinking about Gwen saying like they're working with my father, which we said wasn't true, but it is true. Well, if he gets his act together. But that's um, her plan. Asensia's plan is to work with him. So Gwyn did the right thing. You know, it's we look at that episode and we go, all the kids acted like kids and they all panicked and they missed their moment where they could have said something. And now you go, oh, good call. Good call, Gwyn. 
yeah, there's so many questions of when did she travel back in time? Has she been Essencia since the Academy? Like, is she a deep cover? Yeah. Or did she just replace her recently? You know, like a week ago. Right. I have a lot of questions and I'm very much looking forward to them being answered. And I think because they're packing so much in, I'm not worried about them answering these questions next week and the week after, you know, so uh, I don't feel like they are stringing us along on anything, really. Agree. Yep. You know, the only thing that I think we're missing is some character stuff, especially I still feel like Zero is an underutilized character. We got some good Zero a couple episodes ago, but for the most part, I mean, Zero got a good line this week. The um, I'm sensing our captain is utterly clueless. I didn't like that line. I was like, harsh, man. But it was funny. I thought it was funny. It wasn't my favorite line. There were other lines that I liked better. I was like, dude, that is, you know, that is intense. Well, Dal was totally out of it. He was fantasizing about Okana getting knocked out the uh, airlock. <laughs> I know that was funny, actually. The You know, <laughs> they are definitely hinting that he has feelings for Gwyn. It wasn't just the captain jealousy there was a there's something going on well i'll tell you so i was playing the game you know to do a review of it and there's a moment in the game where he is about to tell her something and then doesn't and it's clearly that you know they're not going to be making out by the end of the season but there's they're leading up to something yep i'm okay with that i mean you know kids get romantic feelings they're teenagers that's kind Um, of yeah i have a couple teenagers yeah, it happens, you know. <laughs> and it's happening, and it's delightful. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure it'll be handled well. Anyway, I think we're d- kind of done. Yep. They took us on another crazy, wacky journey of moving a whole bunch of things forward, and the stakes are still so high for everybody, and it still looked great. Indeed. Let's wrap things up. We have no bits of the week, because this is Thanksgiving week, so we'll just say thanks for listening. And we'll see you next Friday. Yep, we're thankful for all of you. (laughs) Goodbye.